you know, oftentimes I sit down and I have an idea and it's just, it's just flowing. I mean, it's coming out of me and I am writing it down or I'm typing it up and I'm like, this is the greatest idea I've ever had. This is going to be a story that is just going to rock people's socks. And I don't know when or how it's going to happen, but when I, when this thing drops, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and watch it just, just take hold of everybody. And then a funny thing usually happens to me. I sit back after the, you know, the inspiration has downloaded and I have all my ideas in front of me and I look at it and I set it aside for maybe five minutes. I come back to it and I think to myself, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> this is the, this is just not an original idea, but I'm exploring it. And to me, that's important to do is to explore something before I turn off the jets. So once the jets are on, once the faucet is, is full tilt, the waterfall has commenced, I run it till it's dry. And that's something I think every writer needs to do. No matter what idea it is, no matter what you think of it uh, in, the, in the beginning stages, if you have something that sparks your interest, that makes your heart skip a beat, that makes you want to sit down and flesh it out with an outline or... Uh, consider what other people have said about this idea before. Whatever that is, you have to explore it. You can't just put it on the back burner. And that's what I'm going to talk about today on The Writer's Lens is what is it like to explore an idea? What does that look like? What can we do to be better about it as creatives when it comes to exploring ideas that we get and the inspiration that comes to us. This is Josh J.C. Alfelto for The Writer's Lens, and this is Exploring Ideas. That's what we're going to call this one. Stick with me. All right, so this is going to be a fun one because uh, there's a lot to unpack in the idea of exploring various themes uh, in our writing. And for me as a storyteller, I mean, I'm exploring things all the time. I mean, from the intro, you probably gathered that anyway. But I want to be clear about what is the difference between exploring an idea, exposing one, and also maybe exalting one. And it's going to be part of a, a three-parter here that I'm going to do on the writer's lens, talking about exposing, or rather, uh, exploring, exposing, and exalting ideas. So the first one that we're going to do, as I, as I said from the intro, is exploring new ideas. So what does that look like in a story when you're exploring new territory? Now, a lot of this, I think, gets done very overtly in areas like science fiction. So like things that I like to write about and read. Science fiction is a lot about the exploring of what it would be like if we had X, right? And some of this is a little bit overblown, and I've said in in other podcasts that science fiction does get most of the time labeled as being sort of the dark prophet of the future as though, hey, we have to avoid this at all costs. You know, we don't want artificial intelligence to become too powerful. We don't want hover cars to become a thing of the future because people could get carried off and all their kinds of things like that. Uh, we, we don't want to meddle with genetic tampering and, and whatnot. But as I, as I said in other episodes, a lot of sci-fi is just descriptive it's not prescriptive so it's it's taking familiar themes and putting them into very uh new environments and new settings new backgrounds or new backdrops i should say so that's really what 
sci-fi ultimately does well. When it's done well, that's what it accomplishes. But it can still explore ideas. And you can explore ideas in medieval things. You can explore anywhere. And, and that's part of what is so great about exploring areas of fiction is that you're going to bring something familiar. You're going to bring something that people already are familiar with, that they know. Uh, you know, redemption, uh, loss, uh, maybe ideas of, uh, you know, oppression or old ideas that uh, need to be, or maybe you think need to be resurfaced and reanalyzed, and then bringing them into a new space that is, that is new to anyone who's going to pick it up, and it might interest them, and almost in a very covert, subtle way, you're going to talk about those ideas beneath the surface of this sort of catchy thing that you've, that you've constructed. So now that I've, I've totally got you on the abstract, let's talk about it a little more specifically. So first off, technology, I think, is a medium by which we tend to explore more, uh, you know, morality and ethical behaviors. Like, what if we had this? What would we do with it? So for instance, uh, one of my favorite movies now is Blade Runner. I mean, I just saw 2049 a year or so ago, and then I watched the original, and I, I honestly had never seen it. I was a big sci-fi person. Everyone's like, you got to see this movie. You're a science fiction guy. How have you not seen this movie? And so... I, I, I took note of it, I, I watched it, I got 2049 with Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford, and it was fantastic. And I just look at that as a great example of exploring what it would be like if we were in a world where human beings were manufactured, because that's, what it's, that's essentially what the original Blade Runner was playing around with, was this idea of the replicants. Like, are the replicants really human? Even though they look human, they only live like four or five years, but they are made to look like human beings, but are they human? Do they have the same emotional depth? Do they have the capacity to love? Are they just robots that look like human beings? So exploring these, these ideas as, 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 as much as many others within the confines of the story is a great example. And should technology be used to do these kinds of things? So there's one. There's a great example there. What about taking technology away? Like, what would happen if we took technology away? Okay, a great example of that would be The Walking Dead. Uh, you know, the, the big phenomenon of Walking Dead, which, which went on for several years until, the, until the, the writing just kind of tanked after, I think, the fourth or fifth season. But the post-apocalyptic world, which is another one that I, I find very interesting, is uh, what if we suddenly took away all the comforts of technology, of modern tech, and it's gone from us now? What would that look like? What would human beings do if we no longer had the ability to call someone on their cell phone or the ability to walk down the street without the fear of being eaten alive by a zombie. Uh, you know, like we don't have as much of the resources that we used to have or whatever it is, okay? So taking technologies away, taking comforts away, what would that look like? All right, good example there. And what if certain technologies have yet to arrive or maybe never did? Uh, so historical fiction, I think, is another good example of this. Um, I have yet to read the book series on this, but I, I've read a lot of reviews on it, and I, it sounds fantastic, and I've been wanting to check it out. But The Man in the High Castle, which is a series about what would have happened if Japan and Germany would have won World War II. It's about a, a Nazi-slash-Japanese occupation of North America, uh, which sounds utterly uh, in, just... It sounds terrifying, for one thing, but but it also sounds very intriguing to me. Like, what would that look like? Like, what would human being, what would human experience look like if that actually were, were to occur? 
And so historical fiction can do this. It can explore these kinds of ideas within those parameters to see what we would do. I mean, you could even go back further in time. Uh, Derek Dean, who's a friend of mine, wrote a book called Among the Shadows, which deals a lot with historical fiction and a lot of historical lore. So what if we went back in time and we looked at, well, what if places like Lemuria were actually real? You know, what if those places actually housed real people with real technology or, or real weaponry, things like that? And we can go into those spaces and see, well, what if King Arthur or whatever story we want to we go after, what if King Arthur had never gotten the sword and the stone, right? Like, what would the course of history look like? And we can explore these things. That is what writers will do with an idea, and they'll, they'll take it to a certain level where the reader will be engaged along with them. And that's what I really want to do as a writer, is that I want to be able to explore an idea, not to the point of beating it like a dead horse, but, but really navigating it in a way that, that my reader is going to be just as enthralled as I am to see where it's all going. That's the goal that I want to keep on my front desk and be aiming towards the whole step of the way, or every step of the way. Now, what must happen in an exploratory story in order for these kinds of things to, to do well? Well, first of all, there, there has to be a catastrophe of some, time, of, of some kind where something is wrong and it now must be made right, which is true of pretty much any story, really. I mean, I've talked about the inciting incident where something has to happen at the beginning of a story that, that causes everything to go into disarray, and now we have to go about the way of fixing it and sort of bringing things into a new, uh, sort of a new ending or a new space that is going to be better than the old, or restoring things, rather. Uh, so there must be some kind of catastrophe. That in human nature has to be put on display as being noticeably corrupt. That's another thing that we have to do with exploratory stories. And here's why. We, as much as we want to say that people are inherently good, I know there's a lot of folks out there that will say, you know, humans are just inherently good. It's the world that makes them evil, right? Like, that's kind of the humanist view of things is that, well, the world itself is bad, but human beings are inherently good. We just need to figure out how to keep them good for them for their majority of their life, okay? Um, and I know that's kind of a, a sort of a second-grade level explanation of humanism. I know there's a much deeper construct there of rationalizing things and critical thought and all this other kind of stuff. But overall, this, this idea that humans can use their better angels, as Steven Pinker might say, to to be better in society, better, you know, across cultures. As much as we want to believe that about people, we have to give in to the reality. And I don't mean give in as in like, oh no, but rather recognize that human beings are corruptible. And if we're going to explore new territory, if we're going to explore new settings, whether it's historical fiction, whether it's current fiction, whether it's science fiction, something off in the future, human beings have to be noticeably corrupt. They have to be morally deranged in some way in order for us to actually and adequately make a good story that people are going to be interested in, and they're, they're also going to believe it. They're going to think it's believable. Like, if I were to just watch Blade Runner 2049, for instance, and there's replicants, there's, there's human beings that are just manufactured, they live for three to four years, and they're super strong and all this kind of stuff, I could immediately write it off and say, yeah, that, that sounds ridiculous because it's not real. But if I watch the movie... And there's real human connection. There's, there's things happening to the characters that, that I can relate to. Suddenly it becomes believable. Suddenly there's a good and evil tension that's going on in the story that I can get behind and say, all right, I want to side with someone now. 
I want someone to actually win. I want someone to actually beat the bad guy in this, whoever that may be. So there has to be noticeable corruption of human nature, and there has to be some kind of catastrophe. And those two can be intertwined in some way. Because that is the reality of our experience, is that we know that human beings can be bad, and we know that they can be good too. That We know that we, you know, we can be both of those things. However, in order to write a really compelling story, you have to have those things in there. And it has to be something that your perhaps your protagonist is going to make right again, if he's if you're exploring this idea, or uh, an ensemble group of characters are going to do this. So, those are the things that I that I want to uh, just keep in mind for any kind of aspiring writer, anyone, even myself. I mean, I do these episodes as much for myself to be a good reminder as I'm as I'm chugging along in my own stories to remember that these are the the tools of the trade. These are the things that we should be mindful of and the things that we should be doing um, if we're going to be great storytellers and if we're going to be able to tell believable and really good stories that are going to keep our audiences coming back to see what we have next. So so that's it for episode 57 on exploring new ideas. I hope you enjoyed this one, guys. Uh, I'm going to be doing, like I said, another episode here soon on exposing certain themes. So I uh, hope you enjoy that one as well as, uh, as I've enjoyed going here and exploring new territory. Again, this could be something that we could really unpack and go further with. And if you think it's something I should unpack and go further with, then you know, let me know. I'd appreciate the feedback either way. So, uh, But anyway, we'll be back again with episode 58 uh, in about a week's time or so. Until then, you guys, have a great week. This is Josh Casey Alfelto for Writer's Lens. Mm-hmm.